0: Hello and welcome to New Books in African Studies. I'm your host, Nicholas Walton. In every programme we talk about a new book connected with Africa and hear from the author. In this program there are two authors, Jenny Trinitapoli and Alexander Vinereb, and their book is Religion and AIDS in Africa. It's a book rich in information and analysis on how two of the most important issues in African life affect each other. Here's the interview. Well, joining me from the other side of the Atlantic uh, to talk about their book, Religion and AIDS in Africa, are Jenny Trinitapoli and Alexander Weinreb. So welcome to both of you. Whereabouts are you both sitting?
1: I'm in State College, Pennsylvania at Penn State University.
2: And Alex? I am at the University of Texas at Austin in, in, the, in the great state of Texas.
0: Okay. Well, Alex, can you continue for a second? Just tell us a, a little bit about yourself, and and Jenny can join in, and and then both of you just tell me how you came to to be interested in this subject and write the book.
2: Um, sure. Um, well, I'm I'm a sociologist, um, uh, but uh, I think unlike many sociologists, I I specialize in Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, 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 and during during my doctoral research in in Kenya fourteen fifteen years ago, uh, which was not on on AIDS or religion um, i started started to hear quite a lot about um, about aids um, and just from people on on the ground and I I, I I found myself increasingly surrounded by by posters and all sorts of products of uh, of the international public health community. Which were becoming increasingly oriented to AIDS. Um, at, at the same time, I also started to hear from people on the ground all sorts of like religious discourses um, related to this 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 new plague, and they involved how people were in, in, um, in interpreting AIDS and how they were dealing with it. Um, so it 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 sort of lodged itself in my in my mind and. Um, And eventually I I met Jenny, Um, um, so I'll let her take the story from there.
1: My um, entree into this project was slightly different. I had been um, training as a doctoral student at the University of Texas um, in the areas of religion and health, and um, most of that research is focused on the United States, But for a variety of reasons, I had interest in um, Africa and some other parts of the world and um, fortuitously met Susan Watkins, who had been studying AIDS in sub-Saharan Africa, and said that her respondents were always talking about religion and someday she wanted to ask about it. Um, And that's also how I met Alex, and um, we began to um, look at the question of the relationship between religion and AIDS in this part of the world, specifically um, Malawi at that time, um, in systematic ways, and that's, that's how the project came together
0: well let 's start off with, with with looking at HIV in Africa as as a general theme. Um, a lot of places in the in the world have been affected by HIV and AIDS, but it 's uh, absolutely fair to say that that nowhere has the effect been quite as catastrophic as in Africa, especially this uh, this AIDS belt which seems to be from from some of the southern African states all the way up through the Uh, To the to the more northerly sub-Saharan states, Um, can you just give us a picture, Alex, of of exactly what is you know what it what it's like in figures and what it's like on the ground?
2: Um, Sure. Um, Well, the the AIDS belt actually is 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 mainly southern African countries. So um, um, so countries like South Africa, um, Swaziland, Zimbabwe, Botswana. Um, and 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 as you as you move up a little bit into East East Africa, the prevalence drops. So in the in the primary countries, you have what are, what are thought to be HIV prevalence rates in the in the in what's known as the prime ages. So um, um, people from their late teens until their until their early forties um, in in the twenty, 20 to twenty five percent range. Um, and as you head up into East East Africa, um, so you have national national prevalence more in the in the in the in the ten percent range. Heading into West Africa, once once you get as far west as um, Senegal, then it, it really it, it it drops down to one one percent or so. And so the, the, when people talk about AIDS in, in in Sub-Saharan Africa, even though we we like to think of Africa as this amorphous no, just it's a, it's, it's a place, right? Uh, and it's all the same. Um, when it comes to H- HIV AIDS, like many other things, um, there are in- incredibly significant differences between, um, between the areas. And this is, this is one, of the, one of the starting points for puzzling out you know, why, especially when HIV is supposed to have emerged in Central Africa, um, why it's actually much higher in Southern Africa. Um, and you know in our i mean again this was this was one of one of the puzzles which animated our own um, um, adventures with it as a as a scholarly endeavor What
0: kind of impact is there on the ground because one of the key things about your book which is very data rich is that you go beyond the data and you try and find a a little bit more granularity so it's not just the the overall picture of, of of what's happening and and but but you're going down to village level and saying right well whatever the big picture this is what we find there what's been the impact upon people's lives maybe maybe jenny you can answer this
1: Sure. Um, I think that the um, information that Alex summarized about HIV prevalence levels is really helpful um, for an orientation, but looking at it from the ground is um potentially even more important. Um, In Malawi, where HIV prevalence at the time that we started collecting this data was about 14% among the prime age population, the respondents in the rural villages that we were working in were attending about four to six funerals a month. Um, And that means not that, that means that, they, that they're losing friends and, um, and people who are close to them at very high rates. So that's one sort of local metric that's not commonly used in um, demographic research that we find helpful in terms of estimating the, um, the magnitude of the epidemic, the number of funerals that people are attending. Um, another sort of informal metric that um, we started uh, conversations about was how much time um, uh, people that we were working with, our research assistants and local collaborators, were spending visiting friends and family members who were sick, um, bringing them water, food, um, helping them with chores around the house. And um, this was another um, way that we thought was helpful for estimating sort of the scale of the epidemic.
0: One other thing which obviously brings all of this together with with your studies is that uh, this particular part of Africa is extremely religious. Um, broadly speaking, um, com- especially compared to most other parts of the world, similar to uh, what we were just saying about the, the, the level of HIV infection. Um, can you give us a picture of exactly how religious it is and, and the, the kind of role that religion plays in people's lives? Because, uh, oh, and it's worth pointing out here that, of course, we're talking about uh, about different religions in different places.
1: Um,
2: Jenny, I'm, I'm going to let you do that. You're the you're the, soci- you're, you're the true sociologist of religion
1: sure um, well across the African study uh, across the African countries we have data from um, <clears throat> Almost everyone who responds to um, standard surveys will identify um, affiliating with a religious tradition that we would recognize, some branch of Christianity um, or Islam in particular. Um, beyond the fact that almost everyone, upwards of 90% um, across countries, is affiliated with religious traditions, um, we find that there are very, very high levels of religious involvement. And this is something we measure, for example, by the frequency um, with which people attend regular religious services? How often do they attend their churches and their mosques? And the levels are are, are very high, um, upwards of 80% of people attending weekly or more than weekly um, in dozens and dozens of countries. And beyond um, attendance, we find that um, Again, here, about 90% of the population in the dozens of countries that we have data from tell us that religion is very, very important in their lives. Um, and of those three very crude measures of religion and religiosity, um, you know, we, we easily conclude that it's a, a very important part of people's daily lives.
0: Mm. And what you set out to do in this book was to was was to try and find some kind of empirical account of of this um, of the impact of, of religiosity on HIV. Um, what kind of broad findings can you kick us off by telling us about?
2: Well, I one of um, I think one of the, um, the the starting points for this was was um, um, for us was not not only. Are there differences in HIV prevalence um, um, between between different religious traditions, and then also between different different types of communities within any given tradition? But um, we, we we try to start off with um, uh, with with asking how people actually choose to interpret um, um, AIDS and its impacts, and and um this was you know this was bouncing off what um jenny's just just been talking about which which is um in in, in contrast i think to that you know to the world which you know which one knows through through um european eyes in in in, in 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 sub-saharan africa people um in in general like really do interpret things which are going on around them in in, in terms which we would we would consider to be religious um, um so, um, so we found that that that, that for example, um, um, if you want to give somebody in, information about um, about a- HIV transmission, I mean how how this virus is passed from one person to another, in 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 the terms which people use on on the ground, that, that provides a, a satisfactory answer to the question of of how somebody got infected. But it doesn't answer the question of why they're infected, and and it's in, it was in, in searching out the reason for why somebody's infected that, that people head into more um, into in, into turf or in, and into discourses which are more explicitly religious. Um, um, I mean, this is this is always always something of a surprise to to the, the, those of us who are sort of trained in more more sort of um, secular public health discourses. Like the why and the how are things which we we, we tend to conflate. Um, so that was one, you know, that's one example of 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 of, um, of just a like a straightforward like result, which we think is is pretty instructive, um, 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 and 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 can re- really help in in both understanding what's going on and also in designing programs which more more effectively um, cater to to, to to people's needs on on the ground.
0: So Jenny, can you fill out a couple of other thoughts there? Obviously we have uh, differences between types of religion such as uh, Islam, different sects of Christianity such as Protestantism and Catholicism, etc. Are there any big headlines that you would be able to draw out as, as differences between the impact upon how those particular religions impact upon um, the prevalence of HIV, its treatment, etc. Et
1: sure. Um, in talking about For example, prevention and HIV prevalence, I think one of the big headlines um, would be that we find fewer differences between religious groups than many people would have expected, and we think that there are a couple of reasons for this. one of them being that if you imagine um, rural African communities, um, you can imagine a Catholic parish, you can imagine um, a local Pentecostal congregation. Um, in rural areas, because of this, how how daily life is structured and because of lack of roads and infrastructure and um, communications... Um, Many local congregations are pretty disconnected from their denominational authorities, and Catholic religious leaders um, in rural areas, for example, may have conversation partners that are their local um, religious leaders of other local congregations. For example, they may be in dialogue with, um, with the imam who is in charge of the mosque uh, a kilometer away and they may be in charge with the Presbyterian in, – in communication with the Presbyterian minister. And in that way, we find um, that messages from – and the sort of context of religious groups, they tend to see, look similar to one another in um, in geographic areas, more so than um we would expect if we were thinking about hierarchical about religious congregations hierarchically and imagining that every local priest or pastor is, um, you know, carrying out the orders of their um, their um, observing uh, observing bishop or yeah. um, sort of more regional leader. Exactly, so that, going further so, up
0: the hierarchy.
1: Exactly. So, um, sort of feud few differences um between religious between religious traditions in terms of prevention in terms of sexual behavior however we do find um big differences in terms of the level of religiosity um, that people report in terms of understanding their own sexual behavior the way that they think about sex the way that they think about prevention um, and um that does have consequences um that you know demonstrable epidemiological consequences where you know we Find people with lower levels of um, HIV prevalence in areas in among among highly religious po- subpopulations.
2: So just yes, uh, th- 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 of th- course. Th- um, just to fill that out, if I can. Um, so one of the, one of the things which we did, which I think makes uh, makes our, our data fairly unique, is that we um, we we've, we've got this national or, or, or the sample of almost almost two hundred congregations from which we collected um data in, including sending people to listen to and observe sermons and and then in, in, in interviewing the leaders and asking them all sorts of questions about their own views and and the sort of things which which they like preach about and um and and we found basically that um in those in those congregations in which in which um the religious leaders are uh, taking a much um, like a much more the, the, their their messages related to AIDS are much broader. So they're both biomedical. You should use condoms and protect yourself. But they're also moral. Mm-hmm. Like you you um, you need to practice abstinence and and be faithful. And they include sanctions for behavior which which um, crosses those 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 sort of moral boundaries. In those congregations with with both moral and biomedical messages, that's where we find lower rates of HIV um um you know so the so so basically so um which so this this is um um this is consistent with um jenny's message that the the differences um which one finds uh, um by by religion are much less related to differences across traditions than 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 to the congregational style, which is primarily a product of 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 who happens to be leading it. Because there really is, here as in many other, case, as in many other cases, there's a, a sort of divergence between what's what's the official discourse of, of a denomination and, and and what a particular local local leader who who has all sorts of other things going on. I mean, there are all sorts of seminars on AIDS which which he could have attended. Um, you know, so there's this there's this tension between between like the national leadership um, and the local. And that and that has these demonstrable um, epidemiological results. And and what about the role of morality?
0: Because obviously religion is suffused with with uh, lots of rules about what is right and what is wrong. Um, and certainly throughout the world, HIV has has especially in its early days was associated with particular types of behaviour. That uh, you know whether it was homosexuality or whether it was a, a form of um, Sexuality, anyway, which obviously is much more the case in in uh, Africa itself. How did that feed into the debate? Uh, because obviously, it could also be seen as a punishment from God uh, under cer- certain circumstances. <laughs> Jenny, do you want to answer this?
1: Sure, I'll take this one. Um, In terms of the moral messages, um, we think that this is an important part of what religious leaders in particular contribute to um, how how AIDS is being dealt with in communities. And um, as most people, as most Westerners would expect, um, religious leaders do have moral messages about HIV. Um, They do talk about AIDS as a plague, um, as a punishment um, from God for the sins of their community, um, and they do preach messages of abstinence and fidelity on a very, very regular basis. Um, This probably wouldn't surprise um, anyone who was imagining what the relationship between religion and AIDS would look like, Um, but we find that religious leaders aren't only um, packaging moral messages moral messages are also accompanied by a variety of different kinds of messages and as Alex already mentioned we have religious leaders talking about um, biomedical approaches and talking for example about condoms about getting tested in their community so the moral messages are sometimes accompanied by um, very um, sort of public health sounding messages um, about about biomedical um, forms of prevention and these go hand in hand and also, religious leaders have very pragmatic messages um, about AIDS that are coupled with these moral messages, um, and so I think that those are two important ways of thinking about the way that moral messages are being delivered. They're not standing alone, but they're um, they're 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 paired when, and combined with other types of messages, and they and and they come as bundles. And we found that some combinations of these are more effective than others in um, reducing HIV prevalence in certain communities. But importantly on the moral question um, one of I think one of the most important findings from our book is that Western perspectives, I think especially American perspectives, tend to think about morality as it relates to AIDS almost exclusively in terms of sex. And um, moral messages about AIDS go far beyond that. Moral messages about AIDS involve um, mandates and obligations to care for your sick family members and to visit um, your neighbors who have this disease to um, participate in funerals to um, give proper burials to members of the community that are being um, that you know that 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 have been lost um, due to AIDS and the moral dimensions of AIDS are really not um, sex is just one part of it and I would say I don't know maybe a third maybe half but it's not the whole story in terms of um, how religious leaders and religious communities see AIDS as a moral problem.
0: Uh, Alex I thought I, I heard you uh wanting to chip in there
2: were you going to add? Um, um, <laughs> actually no you probably just heard si- signs of me to egg it <laughs> Hanging ah. Jenny on, I was like, yes, yes, good.
0: Um, in, yeah. in, 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 which case, in which case, I'll I'll chuck a, a slightly different question at you, and that is, um, you know, it almost follows on from this question of morality. But have, have, uh, did you find any uh, any particular patterns in the way that AIDS vic- victims or HIV victims were were stigmatised?
2: yes we certainly did and, and and i this is um um this is one of one of the larger parts of of the project where where our results in general diverge from every, everything else and what i mean is like um it's it's only really when, when when we come to to matters of stigma and and of of sort of and care of of uh people w- with aids and their families that we find any significant differences between the, um, the various denominations which make up African Christianity and African Islam, there were very, very substantial differences here. Um, in, in, in stigma, we basically found that um, you know, when we control for all, all, all sorts of characteristics, education and age, and so on, we still find much higher rates of stigma amongst Muslims in, in Sub-Saharan Africa than amongst Christians. And this this then corresponds to, and, and we think is is a related causally um, to to the to the even more substantial differences which which we find between Muslims and Christians in in, in the care um, of of people with HIV/AIDS. Um, so so for example, in in 2004, we we um, in a in a survey of um, of close to 2,000 people um we, we um we asked all respondents if they had visited um the sick during during the last months and um all of all of the christians christian groups the these these averages so you know whether one was a presbyterian or, or was a baptist or one of the evangelical churches they were all in in the in roughly in the in the 30% range so from 30% of our respondents who were Christians um, had said they had visited um, um, and like amongst the Muslims it was only seven um, percent and this is an enormous difference and um, we you know we we argue that um, um, this is this is rooted in very very different different sorts of con- congregational structures um, so i mean churches as we observed um, in um, um, I mean, uh, um, basically, all of, the ha- all of them have like a weekly collection for um, for the sick. There's there's a committee, and many of them then straight after services they go and go and visit members of their church who are sick, um, who, who who are too sick to show up, and they give them you know, um, cheer or they give them love. Um, there is there is nothing, e- or or historically there's there's been nothing equivalent to this. Within um, within the African Muslim tradition, even even though there is still there are the same un- underlying norms of of um, charity and helping um, people who are not family members, um, but it's that it's that missing institutional l- layer, which 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 we think ends up having a very very significant effect on um, on people's lives. Um, um, i mean the difference between 30% and 77% is is massive um and so it's it, anyway so it's one of those it's it's one of the only well it's it's the only way really in which we really found a, a substantial difference between these two major monotheistic traditions in in sub-saharan africa um and it's it's um and i think it um i mean we were surprised by the scale of it um given that both both religious traditions have at least a discursive e- emphasis on helping, helping the poor and the widows and orphans.
0: And w- one other thing that I was very interested in was the impact. Uh, well, let's go back a bit. If we look at the various aspects of where HIV can be impacted upon, it's, it's through things like prevention. It's obviously things through, like uh, the cures and things like uh giving comfort as we've just been describing uh obviously you you found uh, quite a big difference between a um muslim and christian communities on that one but uh one big area which i think uh fits into the prevention category is the is alcohol um, and I found this was quite an interesting aspect of the book because there is a very distinctive pattern of alcohol use in many parts of uh, sub-Saharan Africa. And this has obviously been identified as, as many people uh, uh, who, who work in, in the HIV area have, have pointed to it as, as a, a real cause of, of some of the problems. Jenny, maybe you'd like to pick up on this. Yeah,
1: sure. Yeah, um, yeah. It-
2: Sorry, I was just going to say Jenny loves alcohol, so <laughs> perfect, perfect, question.
1: Um, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, in terms of prevention messages, um, when we're following the sort of the public health agenda, we focus on three things, right? It's guided by the ABC campaign: abstinence, and faithfulness, and condoms. But in studying HIV um, on the ground, we learned very quickly that there are a number of other strategies circulating that, that, that people use, um, and that people advise, um, and, and, and in ways in which people advise each other, uh, in terms of how to avoid this disease. Right. And alcohol use was an interesting one. And it was one that I think emerged, <laughs> emerged, um, as we were collecting this data, um, the idea is is pretty simple, it's that um, people who are drinking heavily don't make as good of decisions as um, those who aren't or as the same person does when they're not. Um, and we have lots of religious leaders um, from traditions in which alcohol consumption is forbidden and also in, within traditions where it's not explicitly forbidden. Um, encouraging members to stay away from alcohol, also to stay away from drinking establishments, which are where a lot of sort of one-off sexual encounters, not only but sometimes with um, sex workers occur. And so this sort of wisdom of um, avoiding alcohol as um, a sort of uh, more fundamental prevention strategy, because Avoiding alcohol is going to help you avoid um, risky sex. Um, it, was, it was a message that came through um, very, 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 very clearly um, in, in, in multiple religious traditions, even, for example, among um, Catholics and um, other groups that don't have any formal um, prohibitions against alcohol use.
2: Um, if, yep. I, if I can understand there. Please um, do. Um, I mean, one of you know, one of the transitions happening happening in, in Sub-Saharan Africa, and um, um, this is particularly true in 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 urban areas. But you know, one finds it reflected in in um, um, trading centres in rural areas too. Is as as you have this, um, or as has been this rapid increase in the number number of educated people, um, there, there's also been a change in consumption patterns um and and a growing taste for like western style style alco- alcohol as part of a, a, gro- a growing taste for western western style um fun you know so you see posters in in cities advertising the same the same sorts of products which which are advertised in in um um the first world um cities so you know uh, cell phones and cars and all sorts of consumer items and alcohol is one of those so you know, so on on one hand you have you have the appeal of this like modern fun middle class lifestyle for young um, um, for young people, which is you know, drawing people in, um, um, and and on the other there's there there are you know um, uh, there's the the acknowledgement that um, as Jenny has described, like with with alcohol comes comes a um, comes a slippery slope and into, into all sorts of other. Um, like iniquitous um, um, Activities, behaviors. yes behavior um, and some of these then 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 becomes um sanctioned by by some religious leaders, so you know so we we came came across stories of of um um of um like a local local pastors who were you know who who um like go to somebody 's house and say hey you like you were seen in that bar last night um why were you there? If you go there again, you will be sanctioned. Um, um, so, and it's it's really trying to trying to to stop stop the slide. Um, so, so somebody who gets drunk and ends up having sex with a bar girl.
0: Mm, absolutely. Um, one other thing, which uh, you're talking about the, the great transformations that have happened in Africa throughout this period of, uh, of HIV infection and its, uh, and its prevalence across the, the continent. Um, obviously, urbanization is something that, that, that you've just touched on in that answer. But it strikes me that a lot of what you're talking about in terms of how religion affects um, you know, HIV in, in all of its dynamics is uh, very much based down at the, the village level. Uh, it's based upon how the dynamics of that religion work with that particular preacher, etc. We were talking earlier and Jenny was saying how, you know, you're often divorced from the from the church hierarchy. So it doesn't really matter quite so much what the bishop says. It's what the guy in front of you says on, on the Sunday or whenever you go and, and listen to him. Um, obviously, with urbanization, which is increasing a pace across sub-Saharan Africa... How is that affecting things? Because obviously that's access to all sorts of, uh, you know, much higher up the hierarchy religions. Uh, You also have the growth of of new religions that, uh, you know, in enormous churches in in some of the large cities and conurbations that are growing up across Africa. Is that changing the picture?
1: I think it absolutely is. Um, I mean, one of the religious changes um, that's most visible um, across Africa is the Rapid growth of Pentecostal and charismatic traditions um, across across sub-Saharan Africa. Um, we've seen it very visibly in Malawi um, over the course of you know the past uh, seven or eight years, and um, the Pentecostal tradition has um, really taken root among this growing urban um, middle class um, among um young people um, especially among more highly educated subsectors of the population. And um, one of the interesting things um, that's important to keep in mind about the about the Pentecostal tradition is that we do see lots of conversion um, to Pentecostal traditions by Catholics, by members of mainline denominations like um, the Anglican Church or the Presbyterian Church. But we also see people, especially young people in urban centers, who maintain their affiliation with the traditional They're from with their Catholic Church, for example, but are participating in religious revivals and in sort of charismatic um, services that are taking place, um, sometimes spontaneously, sometimes planned. Sort of youth rallies that are Pentecostal and charismatic in nature and and, and this is highly, highly visible in um, in urban centers and in urbanizing parts of the rural communities and um, some of um, you can call them the, the hinterlands but these trading towns, for example um, where lots of, um, where people from rural villages spend time trading their goods and um, sometimes move to before a before a larger migration to one of the one of the more typically urban centers.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, on the flip side, the, 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 I mean, the, even though people people um, um, people tend to distinguish in fairly hard terms rural and ur- urban areas in sub- sub-Saharan Africa, if you're following any given person, then there tends tends to be a lot of circular movement. And people are are going back and forth, especially when they're when they're um, unemployed or underemployed or working on temporary contracts, which is which is um, the way that many many people live. So you know, so they can go to one to a a, a church associated with one denomination when like when they're at home in their um, rural area, and they they can go to another one entirely when when they're um, in the city. Um, so people, people's, people's like religious affiliation then is 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 a little bit less less fixed than 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 we typically think of it mm-hmm. because of all these um, migration flows. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's just a constant flow.
0: And uh, one other thing that obviously intersects with HIV and AIDS, but I'm not sure how it intersects with uh, with religion as well. Uh, traditional medicine can. Who's the volunteer to tell me about uh, how traditional medicine fits into this whole narrative? No one. Okay, <laughs> I'll go. Alex, I'll it go. sounds like you. Um,
2: um, so, you know, there's there's a whole sub subset of of uh, um, topics which are um, which people are in, in, instantly attracted to when they're when when they're doing stuff on on um, on health in Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, um, and in in the age literature you see this with with um uh, less now but certainly during dr- during the 80s and 90s you, you had lo- lots of focus on exotic practices um and um um so you know weird weird like marital relations and and um and sort of sexual patterns in in general and then there was also this focus on on witches witchcraft and then you know some somewhat like related to that um um, the traditional healers. Um, the 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 big the, the big thing which we found I think is that um, there's still a lot of serious en- engagement with traditional healers and uh, um, the traditional healers are are distinguished um, classically from witch- witches witchcraft in, in the fact that they don't use any any blood or products of the human body they 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 just use herbs. Um, so people will in parallel. Go to um, to like traditional healers um, for a bunch of reasons. I mean, some you know some, sometimes it's like it's sort of uh, um, it's just like long-established family tradition. It's easier to pay them because you can pay them in kind. You can pay them with like a chicken, which you can't do at the modern clinic. Um, you know, the clinic might might not have any 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 like drugs, or it'll have a really rude nurse um, who you know who talks it down to these to these poor people because she's educated and urban and um um and uh, you know so there are all sorts of reasons why 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 people people can use it but sort of typically we we we've, we've found that there's parallel use of modern and and uh, um traditional um, um medical styles um it's it's not like people choose to go either one way or the other mhm
1: and I think um also um, sort of following what what Alex said there um, is that people are simultaneously engaging in first of all biomedical treatments from clinics, also traditional medicine and also seeking faith healing um, from in, in in religious congregations and um, the, the one of the religious groups that has distance themselves or at least try to distance their members um more explicitly from um from traditional medicine has been the pentecostals um there are messages to of specifically to avoid traditional healers from pentecostals Mm -hmm. but among other religious traditions um religious leaders sometimes encourage their members to see a traditional healer when they have, um, when, when, when they have an illness, when they have symptoms that are not getting treated, um, in, 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 clinics. And that's not uncommon. We also had, um, at least two religious leaders in our survey of over 200 who, um, doubled as traditional healers and religious mm-hmm. leaders. Um, so people are, so some of religious leaders wear that very same hat. Um,
0: mm. We're drawing to the end of the interview now. I I just had a a couple of questions still to ask, one of which is obviously uh, tying up what's in the book and that is asking for some kind of conclusion because obviously it seems like um, quite a mixed, it's a mixed picture. It's a lot more complex than we might imagine when you first look at uh, the intersection of religion and AIDS in Africa. Um, So uh, we'll start with you, Jenny, seeing as you were talking last. Um, What is your big conclusion or or what is your big thought at the end of this book?
1: Um, I think that in trying to understand the AIDS epidemic in sub-Saharan Africa, you know, in arguably the most religious part of our world Um, we just can't understand it accurately if we're thinking about it only as a medical problem um because that's not how most people in sub-saharan africa are experiencing it um we sort of argue in this book that um, people are experiencing it just as much as a religious and as a moral problem as it is a medical or a health problem and i think that that shift in um thinking about um AIDS specifically with a religious Lens not you know reluctantly like Okay if we really really must Then we will you know Decide to look at how religion shapes sexual behavior. You know, this was sort of one dimension, but in terms of a holistic view, um, I think the one of the conclusions for us is that it's really impossible to understand AIDS with in this part of the world without taking religion seriously. Um, and I think one of the other parts is the assessment that everyone wants. You know, religion is it more good or more bad? Um, given that this is sort of a mixed bag when we're talking about different types of um, prevention when we're talking about stigma and caregiving and we have sort of two sides of the same coin in um, in, in many of these um, different dimensions of understanding AIDS. But overall, I think the data is pretty clear that um, if you have to make the call, I think that religious traditions in this part of the world are contributing a lot more good than bad and that that is a story that's been um, overlooked by the western media's portrayal of religion and religious leaders and religious people in this Mm. part of the world.
0: Interesting. Uh, Alex, uh, would you concur with that?
2: Yeah, I I certainly would would concur and I I mean I think there has been a transition as well and um, um I mean w- one thing which we which we have haven't talked about today, but um, 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 I think um uh, certainly um christian religious traditions in in, in the early days of hiv aids there there was a there was there were a lot of mistakes made i think um, and, and a lot of things which i think um devout christians are are fairly ashamed of. Um, now, but 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 the empirical evidence for sub-Saharan Africa, I think certainly what, what uh, the, the certainly the data which we collected um, are pretty clear that in general, I mean there are exceptions, but in general the the contribution is positive, both if you're talking about prevention and if you're talking about care. I um, um, if if I may, there is one one mm-hmm. more I of think course. central central like result which 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 I. I think um um i i sort of came away feeling um, um feeling strongly about and that um um the way that the way that sub-saharan africa is often been represented and 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 still is to some extent it's in a very negative way it's a you know it's a, it's a place filled with um with, with disease and suffering and deaths and economic and political stagnation and um, mm. um, and and that same sort of sort of story lends itself to the characterization of 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 Africans as, as, as being somehow you know um, um, doing um, doing in an unreflective way, uh, unreflective way the bidding of their of their culturally conservative um, leaders, whether they're political or or religious. But one of one of the things which we find and I think show o- over and over. Is that um, um, people uh, people on on the ground are 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 um, are much better than that. They're they're um, skeptical of all sorts of um, all sorts of authority figures, and those uh, um, authority figures are are African and they're foreign, and and people critically compare like, recommendations which which they receive from also all sorts of sources, and they and they generally try to figure out on on their own, and I mean that you know inside inside their communities what are the more effective ways to do all sorts of things and um i mean here we've been talking about minimizing infection and 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 sort of dealing in a in the most sensible way with caring caring for people when the state doesn't have the the in infrastructure to be able to do it for you um so you know so i i think both both jenny and i came came away feeling here um um much much more positive about 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 sub-saharan africa than than we would have um, had we just restricted ourselves to to the depictions of, of 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 religion and AIDS which one finds in the in the mainstream press or or even in some 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 of the public health um literature where where the bad guys are still you know the churches who, or, or sorry still still the religious leaders who are burning condoms or or you know mm. or um um Yeah, so I'll I'll leave it
0: there. (laughs) And no, I think that that's a very, very uh, good place to end it, simply because uh, I think it reflects how much uh, enlightenment there is to be found in in the study that you did. Um, I found a very fascinating book about something that obviously is of such critical importance to the continent, um, and obviously also goes against some of the stereotypes and preconceptions that we have. So... Uh, congratulations on, on the book. And um, as I think I warned you just before we did start recording, uh, I would like to ask one little question of, of both of you. And uh, let's start with you, Jenny. Uh, do you have a favourite place in Africa, favourite place on the continent?
1: Um, it. I mean, it must be... Um Balaka, which is um, not the most beautiful place I've ever visited <laughs> um, in sub-Saharan Africa, but um, where I've spent the most time and where I've cultivated um, relationships with our research assistants and with um, local religious leaders and um and vendors at the market and, you know, where I feel, I think, more at home than any other place in in Africa. So I would, I would have to, I would have to say Bulaka.
0: And, and, and how much time did you spend there?
1: Um, you know, I've spent long and short stretches, um, you know, as long as six months, um, with my family in tow and, you know, shorter month long trips here and there on many occasions. I mean, cumulatively a couple of years,
0: all oh, right,
2: excellent. So, um, okay, Alex, your turn. Um, well, well, I mean, I'm am going to go for something completely different. Um, 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 I think my my favorite place is a place I've only spent three hours in. <laughs> yes, yeah, um, and only yeah. uh, only been there once, and just because it was completely different to any anywhere else I'd ever been, and this is. Um, skeleton coast which is um, oh right in namibia on it exactly so about a, a couple hundred miles north of um, um i think it's called swakopmund yes um, yes and um so this uh, this amazing place in the middle of nowhere where you can roll roll down a sand dune which is 100 feet 200 feet tall and as you're rolling down you hear Hear the undercurrents of your body shifting, or sh- shifting the sand layers layers beneath, and you just hear the booming of the sand dune. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an incredible place, but not not for any social contact because you're not likely to come across anybody there.
0: I think that part of Namibia is mainly full of tourists who are rolling down sand dunes. So, uh, <laughs> exactly. but, but it sounds as though it was a very good three hours.
2: It was amazing. <laughs>
0: OK, well, many uh, once again, congratulations on the book. Uh, thanks for your time. Thank you. And uh, thanks for thanks for joining us on the New Books for African Studies, Jenny and Alex. Thank you for
2: the thanks opportunity. Thanks very much.
0: And that was Jenny Trinitapoli and Alexander Vinereb talking about their book Religion and AIDS in Africa. Remember that you can follow the New Books Network on Facebook and Twitter. But from here in London, have a good day.